Hey, attention house hackers. The market has changed, interest rates are up. Does house hacking still make sense? The short answer is yes. But to implement a successful strategy, you need a lot more details. So we have two great events coming up brought to you by Envision Advisors and Cornerstone Lending. The first one is a six week webinar series, absolutely free, starts February 15th, and we're gonna go through all the information you need to know for what's working in the markets in 2023. The second event is our all day house hacking summit. It's an in-person event on March 25th, and this will not be the typical seminar event. We will make it interactive, so it'll be a lot of networking and workshop-focused and roundtable-focused speaking events. So this will not be your typical event. It's gonna be focused on networking, doing workshops, being part of roundtables. We will help you walk away with a clear action plan for your next house hack move. All the details are on denverinvestmentrealestate.com. Go there for the details. I look forward to helping you build more wealth through house hacking. You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. What's up, Denver? Chris Lopez here. And today's podcast, we're going to be talking about roofs. We've all dealt with them. If you haven't bought an investment property or house hack yet, you eventually will. You buy a house out here in Colorado, sooner or later, you're dealing with a roof. So very common issue in transactions, especially with the high winds, the hail damage we get. Very, very common to see roof issues. So on today's podcast, that's what we're talking about. I have an expert here who knows about roofs. Dennis Miller with the Best Roof Roofing Company is here to talk about what investors, what agents need to know when it comes to looking at their roofs. A lot of times it comes around when it's time to buy or sell. Good morning, Dennis. Happy New Year. Good morning. Happy New Year to you as well. Yeah, man. Very, very glad to have you here. So obviously, we're going to jump into a lot of details about roofs, but give us a little bit of background just on you and your company and what you do out here in Denver. So company has been around since 2020. So I got started right after the pandemic hit. I have seven years of experience now. I worked for a couple companies, grew the companies, and then decided that I didn't like managing or putting out fires for my employees. So I decided to go off and start a company with my brother-in-law. So it's just the two of us. I'm on the north end of town. He's on the south end of town. And we specialize in real estate transactions. Our bread and butter come from real estate agents because Unfortunately, a lot of times we don't know that there's an issue with the roof until something comes up with inspection. So for yep. that reason, uh, when we get called out, we try to make it out same day and uh, make sure that we have proper communication and are able to get things done quickly. So dealing with roofs, the majority of roofs that we deal with are residential, but we do some commercial, but most of the investment opportunities that take place in the Denver metro area that we've dealt with have always been on the residential front. Yeah, that's definitely, uh, you know, a lot of investors own residential uh, rentals. So let's just jump into and start with a very common scenario, the real estate transaction. Now, someone's either selling or they're buying. So let's look at it through like a buyer lens first, because there's two sides of transactions and, you know, two, two parties involved on there. So for a lot of investors and just, you know, homeowners in general, their first, you know, introduction to a roof is they get a place in their contract. 
They do their inspection. A lot of times that's with a general home inspector and they have, you know, limited expertise in roofs. Um, but a lot of times then, hey, there's a potential issue. We're going to call in the expert roof to come out and look at it. When you come out and look at us, walk us through what you do and the common scenarios you see uh, when looking at roofs on the buy side. So the first thing that we do when we go to inspect a roof is we look at the general condition from the ground. Because a lot of times folks will assume that the roof is good because when they're standing on the ground looking at it, they assume that it's good. They're not up on the roof looking down on it. So see if there's anything that I can notice right off the bat, granular loss, missing shingles. If there's drip edge, what that'll tell me is the age of the roof because code used to not have a requirement to have drip edge all the way around the house. But what year did that come into play? Uh, I want to say 2015 Okay, is pretty much So one. fairly recent then. Yep. That is when it required that you have drip edge all the way around the house. Now, obviously, you can go back to roofs that were installed 20 years ago to where they did that just because that was the better way to do it. Yeah. But when you have a situation where somebody's trying to eke out every single penny, they will cut every single corner that they can so they wouldn't have it all the way around the house. The other thing that we'll look for is staining on the roof, usually coming off HVAC pipes. Uh, if they're staining there, that's usually another indication that a roof may be older. Um, but really, it's a matter of getting up on it. So set the ladder up against the gutter, start climbing up. First thing we'll do is we'll look for granules in the gutters. And then from there, uh, I'll take and lift the shingle right at the eave to see if there's ice and water shield installed on the property. That's another telltale sign. Depending on the municipality, code requirement, some of them require that you have ice and water shield. Some of them don't. Uh, so if it's a code requirement in a certain area, and it's not there, then again, it tells me that it's an older roof. So what is ice and water shield? Is that like the Tyvek wrap type stuff? Uh, very similar. Uh, the Tyvek is the synthetic underlayment that would go underneath the shingle, but at the eaves and in the valleys, it's a peel and stick underlayment that sticks directly to the wood decking. In Colorado, we get major temperature swings, so we get a lot of freeze thaw. Okay. So you can get where your Gutters get full of moisture, and then it refreezes, and it wants to go up underneath the shingle. Mm. So what the ice and water shield is, it protects the wood decking from that moisture hitting it, so that way you're not potentially rotting your wood. So how far does that go up? I mean, six inches? Ten Three inches? feet. Three feet, okay. So in, it depends on the property. So if you have long overhangs, typically you want to go 24 inches into a heated wall. So if you have 24-inch overhangs, then you may have six feet of it. Okay. That makes sense. So, and not everywhere requires that you have ice and water shield. And I'll just pick on Denver, for instance. It's not a code requirement to have ice and water shield in Denver. Now, one of the things that we do is on every single property, whether it's required by code, is we put ice and water shield on the property. It's a cheap insurance policy, so I never have to get called out for a leak. Hmm. Because it's just still extra work for while you're up there, right? Exactly. So, uh, and if... If we, a way that I look at it is if this was my property, how would I want the roof installed? And that's the way I install it. So on every single property that we're going to be re-roofing, we're going to install ice and water shield on the eaves and the valleys. Okay. Now, also coming back to your question, you know, what else am I looking for? When I get up on the roof, I'm just looking at the overall general condition of the shingle. Is there thermal cracking? Is there blistering? Is there hail damage? Is there wind damage? I'm looking for anything that may not be normal. Uh, nail pops, where the nail has essentially started working its way back out from the wood, from the expansion and contraction from the heat and the cool. 
So anything that could be a potential issue, that's what I'm looking for when I get up on the roof. Okay. So you, you do the inspection on there, um, and obviously you're going to come down and give a report to the 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 investor, the client, I should say. What are the typical, like, just a couple, like, typical outcomes you see or typical, like, you know, roof styles? Because there's patterns out here with the damage and the age, like common scenarios. Oh, by far, it's hail damage. Yep. So that that's going to be the, the most typical damage that we find is hail. Uh, when a roof is replaced in Colorado, uh, the majority of the time it's going to be for hail. So if you do like, I don't know the last 10 roofs you inspected, uh, on the buyer side for inspections, what rough number were, Hey, this hail damage insurance claim. Well, it's kind of twofold. So sometimes I get called out for a pre-listing inspection to have the inspection done prior. So that way they don't know if there's any issues or I'm being called out when they're being told by an inspector that there's damage to the roof. Yep. So if I'm being called out after an inspector says that there's damage, probably 80% of the time, there's some sort of issue with the roof, whether it be wind or hail. If I'm being called out for a pre-listing inspection, I would say that it's probably 40% of the time we're finding that there's an issue with the roof. Wow. Even not having a pre-listing, huh? Correct. I mean, so would that be like fair to surmise then? means about 40% of all houses have signs of hail or wind damage then? Well, what we find is that for the homeowners that are looking to sell, um, a storm comes through and they assume that their roof is good because the roof isn't leaking, so they don't decide to call in a claim. And then when they go to sell, that's when the damage is found. Yep. And the issue can be, depending on who their insurance carrier is, a lot of insurance carriers have moved to the point to where you have one year to file a claim from date of loss or from when the storm took place. How recent is that? Well, I can tell you that because we get so much hail here in Colorado, a lot of companies are moving to where they only have one year. Okay. Um, the largest insurance carrier in the state, State Farm, they have two years. Uh, there are other insurance companies like Progressive or Allstate that they don't have any statute of limitations on how old the storm is, but they change their policies around to where they only cover a percentage of the roof based upon the age. So um, we're looking at paying for everything but your deductible or paying just a small portion of the roof depending on the age. Okay. So... Um, you know, out of those, those um, 80% inspections, and you may not know, you know, all this since I don't, I assume you don't always get to replace the roofs on there, but what percentages end up then having the roofs replaced by the insurance company at like, you know, full value at a smaller value, any like rough numbers on that? Sure. Um, so I would say that if we can trace it back to a hailstorm that took place, within the last 365 days, then the likelihood of it being paid for by insurance is probably 95%. Okay. It's extremely high. Some of these insurance companies have really tightened their belt, um, even if we have a more recent date. And let me explain that a little bit further. So in certain parts of the Denver metro area, we've had some massive storms. 2017, and if you want to get specific dates, May 8th of 2017, June 18th of 2018, June 19th of 2018, July 4th of 2019. So when you had these big storms that had widespread devastation and the homeowners that didn't do anything, if we have a more recent storm date, say August 1st of 2022, we have a date that we can trace it back to where most insurance companies will pick up the cover of the cost. Hmm. 
Okay. But if we don't have a storm in a particular area and we're trying to go back on a storm that's three, four, five years old, that's why the insurance carriers have gone to the point where they only give you a year to file a claim or two years to file a claim from the date of the last storm. Okay. So if we're in a particular area to where there isn't a more recent storm date, then the probability of that roof being bought by insurance goes down significantly. All right. So, I mean, for, you know, we have uh, a lot of investors, you know, who listen to our podcast, they own properties all over Denver Metro. Sure. You know, uh, Denver, Aurora, Littleton, just all, all over the Metro. So, you know, they, they're probably not in as in tune with what's happening in their properties when those, you know, hail tracks come through or this hail storm is just and nail the properties. How can investors with multiple properties, you know, through Denver Metro, like monitor what's going on? And if a storm hits them, should they do anything proactively now since many insurance companies are doing this statute of limitations? Like what's your advice for investors in that situation? I think that they should have a relationship with a roofer or roofing company that they trust. And anytime that there's a storm, whether it be massive wind or hailstorms, have them go out and have the roof inspected. Uh, I know that I have uh, commercial properties that we go out and we check on an annual basis just to make sure that the roof is up to snuff and that there's no issues. Having somebody in your Rolodex to where they could go out and inspect all your properties on a annual basis, if you have two properties, five properties, 10 properties. And then if an issue comes up, you already have a relationship with that person Mm -hmm. and then they can take care of it. Whether it be minor repairs to prolong the life of the roof, or if there's damage from a storm to where then at that point they can see about filing a claim and not miss out on those statute of limitations. Yep. Okay. That makes sense. Um, I want to go back around to the, uh, the transaction process because uh, talked about, Hey, this, the roof, you know, high probability there's wind or hail damage. We know the details about potential insurance claim. Uh, when it's not, a lot of times we see roof certifications. Tell us how that works and what that is. So what a roof certification is, it's a five-year roof cert or certification stating based upon my professional opinion or our professional opinion, if the roof has at least five years worth of life left in it. So the way I look at it is if this was my property and I was going to purchase it, would I feel comfortable with the roof on the house? And if so, do I feel that it has at least five years worth of life left in it? If that's the case, then at that point, we'll go ahead and certify the roof. If there's minor repairs that need to be done, if there were nail pops or uh, a missing or creased shingle, um, flashing that's dry cracked, whatever the case may be, if there's repairs that need to be done, I carry all that stuff in my truck. So typically I can do repairs right on the spot as long as I get the green light to go ahead and do so. Yeah. Uh, you know, time is money. And so if I can save myself from going out on a second trip, well, I always want to. Absolutely. It's good for everyone. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So if you come out there and do that, like what's the, what's the general range of like, Hey, this roof is, Hey, there's a couple minor repairs. Is that a couple hundred dollars? A lot of times, like what's just a, a typical range? Uh, typical roof certification is 250 to $350. Uh, depending on what repairs would need to be done. Okay. Obviously, if it's a more extensive repair, uh, if we go out, um, unfortunately in Colorado, we get a lot of sun and wind. So because of that, you'll get where the south-facing slope and the west-facing slope have a lot more wear to them. So in some cases, the north and east are still good, and we have to go out and essentially replace a quarter or half of the roof to be able to certify it. 
So in a case like that, we'll prepare a, a written estimate or a verbal estimate for the investor or agent. And then once we get the green light, get on the schedule and get it taken care of. Okay. So pivoting around here, the other side of the transaction, you know, we got the, went through the buyer side. Now then there is the seller side, the other side of the transaction. And, you know, as we've alluded to, there's really two main uh, ways someone can bring their property to the market. Um, some homeowners and investors will do a pre-inspection, and that can include go ahead and have an inspector walk the house, a roofer check the roof, someone scope the sewer. That way they know what's going on before and can make the repairs or be able to negotiate, or they do nothing. Um, walk us through, like, if they decide to go out and do the pre-inspection, like, what that involves and why they should consider doing that. So a pre-listing inspection is just that, going and checking it out to see if the roof is certifiable, certifiable with repairs, if there's damage, if it needs a complete replacement, what the current status is of the roof and what the life, expected life for the roof is going to be. So it's very similar whether it's a seller or a buyer, we're doing the exact same inspection and then we're just reporting back, letting them know uh, the nice thing about having a pre-listing inspection is that if there is a high probability that there is damage, we can start working towards it. So that way the roof is already in queue to be done or done prior to it even being listed. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, obviously the, the last couple of years, or at least before interest rate, interest rates went up, um, you know, a lot of sellers did not have to do pre-listing inspections and hey, whatever, buyer, deal with this. And even 20 other people get in line. Now with the market shift, like, you know, sellers having to put a much better foot forward to, you know, market and sell their property. And I think the the pre-inspection in this market makes a lot more sense because it's going to help you like identify those problems and also help you sell the property because those issues will pop up now or in five weeks when you list the property. Exactly. It goes in our contract. So with the, the pre-inspection, what's the typical cost uh, for that to be done? Nothing. Nothing. So we don't charge anything to do a pre-listing inspection. Okay. So the only time that we would charge for a roof certification is in the event that repairs are necessary. So that's one of the, the perks of working with our company. And I would say I'm probably not the only one out there that does that, but mm -hmm. um, having somebody to go out and inspect the property and then if a roof certification needs to be issued, it's issued. So if you're on the sell side, uh, having that to upload directly to the MLS is key. So that way, you know, for a prospective buyer that the roof has already been checked out and has a certification. Yep. Great. I like that a lot. Um, all right. So going through some uh, my notes here, I want to talk more about hail and wind because we, we touched on a little bit on the transaction side, but now getting away from the, the transaction on there. A few minutes ago, you alluded to having an annual inspection of your properties. So I'll use myself, for example. So you have a primary residence, I have a fourplex. Um, you know, primaries in Highlands Ranch, four plexes in Westminster, a house in North Denver, and a couple of condos. And I was like, hey, Dennis, I want you to come out and check out my properties. What would that process look like? It's a matter of making a phone call and giving me the addresses. That simple? It's that simple. So I will tell you, like with the condos, if it's covered, you know, if it's a, a blanket policy with an HOA, there's really not a whole lot that's done there because that's going to fall back on whoever the HOA is. And that's probably not worth your time to go inspect because that's correct out of your realm and they... But they usually have their own relationships. Exactly. Now, in the, like somebody has a fourplex, like you were saying. So uh, again, is the fourplex covered under a policy that you have, or is each individual owner of that property, do they have their own individual policy? Yeah. So 
what we find is that if it's covered through an HOA, usually whoever the, has the relationship with that HOA is going to be servicing that roof. Now, I can go out and potentially look for issues, but the majority of the time, even if I find them, I'm not going to be the one to do the work. Yep. I'm just going to say, hey, this is what I found. And then they're going to call out whoever it is that they already have that relationship with. Yeah. And that's, I mean, uh, I figured you would talk about you know, the distinction between HOAs. So in that scenario of, hey, those five properties probably makes sense for you to walk the non-HOA ones because the HOA ones already have their own. Hey, that's what you're paying the HOA for is them to do their uh, upkeep and hopefully proactive due diligence on, on the property. So you walk out and see the property, and that's really just do that quick inspection. And hey, if you see the small stuff, you have the green light. Hey, if it's under a couple hundred dollars, repair it, whatever. Um, or if it's major, wrap the report. Is that kind of like the way you operate a lot of times? Exactly. Yeah. So if it's something as simple as sealing a couple of nails with silicone, again, because I carry everything with me, if I already have a relationship with that individual, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to say, hey, I found these couple issues. I took care of it. Roof still has plenty of life left in it. Hey, I found damage to this area. We need to take care of this. Um, whatever needs to be done to prolong the life of that roof is really the most important thing. And if there is damage, you do not want to miss out on the opportunity to claim filed. Yeah. And I will tell you that when you have a fresh storm or fresh storm damage, it's way easier to see it versus than if it's a year old or two or three or four years. Because as the storm damage ages, it changes in color. If you think of it like a bruise, like if you were to bruise your leg, it's going to be a black bruise and then eventually it goes away. Mm -hmm. Same thing with a shingle. When you have a bruise, it's black and typically you have granular loss. And then over time, because there's no granules there, that black turns to gray. And that's also where you can get pushback from an insurance company potentially wanting to pay for a roof because they usually say, hey, this is old damage mm. that's uh, congruent with nothing that was fresh. Uh, and so over the years, I've talked to a lot of insurance agents, just people in the industry, just talking about, you know, the, the high claim rate in Colorado for, you know, hail or, you know, hail and wind damage, mm -hmm. you know, to cars and to roofs. And, you know, the, I don't know the numbers, but it's always been like kind of a bleak sentiment and not like a great trend with, Hey, there's a lot of stuff happening. Insurance companies are, you know, raising their premiums or they're forecasted, they're, you know, some are losing money. I'm kind of curious from your perspective, like what's your gut and what's your professional opinion as to the the landscape with insurance rates, insurance premiums, and just the outlook in general for Colorado? So Colorado is the number two state in the country for hail damage. That's number Texas. one. They're in, okay. But you got to keep in mind, Texas is huge. So, but that being said, we obviously have a lot of hail claims that are done here. So what we see is we see where insurance companies are raising deductibles a lot of times without even notifying the homeowner that they're raising it. So you'll have, say, a $1,000 deductible on anything with the home with the exception of the roof for wind or hail. And it could be a $2,500 deductible mm -hmm. or a $5,000 deductible, a $30,000 deductible I saw earlier this year. For like a, a roof on a single family? <laughs> Correct, yeah. I mean, that's the it, cost it, of a roof. It, the cost of the roof on that particular property was $12,000. Yeah. And their their deductible is 30000 so it didn't even make sense. It's just a way for the insurance company to get out of it. Yeah. Uh, but also what we're seeing is percentage deductibles, and that's based upon the amount that the policy was written for or the value of the home when the policy was written. So if you have a $500,000 house, which obviously is very low end here in the Denver metro, and you have a one percentage deductible, well, then you have a $5,000 deductible. 
And if you have a $2 million property, now you have a $20,000 deductible. So um, having these higher deductibles, that's what a lot of insurance companies are moving to as a deterrent to stop homeowners from filing a claim. Hmm. Okay, so that's the trend you're seeing on there, which, I mean, that's just, that's the game. That's the way it goes. So do you, have you seen, like, and then there's so many variables, but have you seen, like, a sweet spot in terms of, like, particular company, particular, like, deductible structure, any kind of, like, sweet spots? Like, hey, man, if I'm getting insurance company right now, I'm working with these guys because they're they're kind of the best in town. Or, you know, I've heard some, like, hey, this company... Holy smokes, get rid of them because if you have a roof claim, you're you're up a creek without a paddle. So I would say a lot of times it really depends on the adjuster that goes out, but there are certainly certain companies that have tougher criteria. So Allstate is typically one of the harder companies to... That's who I moved away from when I got details and thought I was like, oh, that, I see why. So uh, Allstate, um, their criteria, uh, essentially what we do is we do a 10 by 10 area so 100 square foot, and then we look for the number of hail hits in that particular area. I believe the Allstate right now is 13. Okay. What's, so most give us some context com- on there. So in a 100 square foot area, they're looking for 13 hail hits that they determine as a hail hit in that 100 square feet. And then if so, then they'll take care of that slope, and then they move to the other slope, and then each one of the slopes are looking for 13 hits in a 10 by 10 area. Kind of the industry standard is 10. Um, certain companies require eight, um, other companies out there, they don't have a set number per se, uh, cause you could have one slope that has 30 hits in the, in a 10 by 10 area or more. And then you could have another slope to where there's none. So you could have where an insurance company is saying, Hey, if there's damage to more than 50% of the roof, we're going to take care of it. Or if there's more than 70%, you have some where they're pushing back and they're only wanting to do repairs repair a certain slope versus doing the entire roof. So the adjuster comes out and does this you know, 10 by 10 analysis across the whole roof. Correct. Um, so each slope. So dep- you okay. know, if you have a basic house that faces east-west, well, then there's only two slopes. But most houses are going to have four slopes. So they're going to look at northeast, south, and west. Most storms throughout the Denver metro area move from the southwest, northeast. So you have more damage to the west and south-facing slopes than you do to the east and the north. Almost every single time. Occasionally, you'll have an anomaly to where you get it to where it comes in from a different direction. Earlier this year, we had a storm up in northern Colorado to where the storm moved just the opposite way. It moved southwest. So the north and the east-facing slopes were the sides that were affected the most. Okay. And so the adjuster comes out and looks at this, uh, and they look at all the slopes. Do they take the aggregate of that to figure out, um, you know, hey, you have four slopes and two out of the four meet the threshold, we replace the roof then? How does that kind of the, the multiple slopes and multiple 10 by 10 factors come into the analysis for replacing the roof? Great question. Again, it's going to fall back on either the adjuster that comes out, but what we're finding is that most adjusters that are coming out now are not the decision makers. So they're just basically some glorified person that's going to go out, take pictures and send it to somebody sitting at a desk somewhere in Kansas or Texas. And that's the person that's the actual decision maker. So it used to be the adjusters would kind of make the decision now Correct. it's being centralized to a home office somewhere. Yep. So um, you have, you've basically taken some of the responsibility uh, away from the, we'll call it the field adjuster. Cause that's what they are. They're out in the field doing the, the inspection. Um, but what we're finding is that more than 50% of the time, that individual is not the one making the decision. So you can't, 
be extra nice to that person or or trying to try to sway that person one way or another because at the end of the day it's somebody sitting at a desk just looking at pictures determining whether they're going to approve it or not okay that makes sense Awesome. Well, this has been really insightful, Dennis. Like, you know, the, the nuanced stuff I always find enjoyable to talk about because every real estate investor has dealt with this or they will. It's a matter of when, not if, when it comes to, you know, roofs and sewers out here. How can people get a hold of you if they want to have you come out and check out a property or pick your brain for a few questions? Certainly. Uh, best way is going to be cell phone. So either call or text. Uh, my direct number is 303 929. 9196. Once again, 303-929-9196. Or you can email me. Uh, my email is Dennis at bestroofroofing.com. Cool. And we'll put all that in the show notes too so people can awesome. uh, check out below below the audio, below the video. Awesome. Dennis, thank you so much, man. I enjoyed this. I learned a few things. So I appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much. You're very welcome.